0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10
1: per order. Additional terms apply.
2: Alright, let's say you're in a fraternity and mm-hmm. your assignment is to go ahead and get beer for everybody. The order is 44 beers. Here's 88 bucks to go get 44 beers. You come back with 14 beers. How happy is everybody in your fraternity? That's kind of where the Red Sox are. And follow my math real quick. For 88 million dollars you expected 44 wins at this point right from the guys are paying 88 million to to pitch sale price evaldi no you got 14 so that math doesn't quite work and the fraternity people that you're supposed to be very, very happy with, and they're supposed to be happy with you. Not a lot of happy is there. I get it. That's the math, and that's where we are, because Valdi still has just one win. That's after what happened in Toronto on Tuesday night. We're going to talk about it, but not for too long, because it's depressing. This is Sox Daily. It's your daily Sox podcast. It's your daily Sox podcast. It's where you're going to find out what the Sox Podcast. It's Sox podcast oh it's Sox podcast and here's your host Josh so Rowdy Telez did it again he is now 15 for 35 with six home runs against the Red Sox and even with the Blue Jays having lost seven straight Rowdy and the Blue Jays rallied for a four to three win Josh Lewin with you whoa. Canada. They go up, and uh, it's a team they should be beating. Even in their current state, they don't do it. And yeah, Nate Evaldi could not give them length. Did not get a win. Josh Taylor actually gave up the game-winning hit. But what do we expect from Josh Taylor? He's already done so much. Very, very little talk about the actual game. We're going to hear from Alex Cora in just a moment, but I want to spend a little bit more time just kind of waxing nostalgic. This is a 20-year anniversary of something you probably are not aware of. We'll get to that in just a bit. Uh, Mookie's good. We know that. Uh, He's now doing some things, uh, scoring runs at a clip that have... Uh, it has really not been seen before. The home run total is going to be up and over 30. So, those were good things that we can point to from the game on Tuesday in Toronto. But this bullpen is threadbare. Obviously, Avaldi uh, is just not bringing it right now. Here's this, his assessment of what it's all about. He talked to the media briefly um, after the game. I
1: feel pretty good. Uh, I felt like tonight was one of my best fastball commands, other than the one of Issue. But uh, I think what got me in trouble tonight was just not being able to navigate with my splitter. Uh, I've it felt real inconsistent, and, uh, you know, it ultimately caused me not to be able to get out of some situations.
0: Is that what got your pitch count up early?
1: I feel like it. Um, you know, I was using the curveball early for strike one, and uh, the fastball's up in the zone, the cutters, but then they started to be able to foul it off more, and, I, you know, a lot of the times as the game continues, I'm able to find the feel for my splitter, and then tonight I just wasn't able to do that. And, uh, you know, it's frustrating, especially looking forward to where we're at now and, you know, I got to go out there and try and go deep in the ball games, and you know, just not being able to do that, especially. frustrating.
0: Given uh, your season, how important would it be to kind of finish strong
1: and have a couple of yeah. good starts? Yeah. Start? No, absolutely. Uh, anytime you can finish on a high note going into the off season, it makes it a little easier. But uh, I mean, we'll, we'll get there. But as of right now, it's. I feel like I did a lot of good things tonight. It was just really the splitter is, is the one thing I was missing.
0: You know, feel yourself make, making progress as the weeks go on?
1: Yeah. So, no, I mean, I definitely feel like as, uh, you know, I get more starts under my belt, I've been feeling more, you know, better and better and better. So, uh, you know, just continue to keep grinding out there and, uh, go out there and try and go as deep as I can in the ballgames. Just with
0: the, you know, first the injury and then kind of yeah. bullpen and starting and just yeah. kind, of di- kind of a disjointed season for
1: you. Yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been inconsistent. Uh, I mean, right now I feel really good. So, um, you know, just focus on the next start and go out there and compete.
2: All right, since we've heard from Nate, might as well hear from the skipper as well. Alex Cora also had a little bit of something to say, and, and then we're just going to move right on. I mean, this was depressing top to bottom. Even Lowell lost their best of three to Brooklyn, so their season is now over. They almost got it down in the New York Penn League, but not quite. But uh, anyway, Alex Cora after the game in Toronto, a loss of 4-3. to three.
0: It was okay. He, he battled with his split today. He didn't have it. Uh, he didn't feel his breaking ball stuff or off-speed stuff was was good. The fastball was good. Um, you, know, um, you can see it from the get-go with Bichette. 2 breaking ball, He gets a hit. Um, the split for a homer. We didn't keep the ball in, in the ballpark. And when you don't do that, we you know you pay the price at, at this level. How much does he have to get better at being more efficient? The thing with him is. is the foul balls, you know, and they they will always be there because of the stuff, you know, it's 100, you know, and uh, although I think, I think it was J.D. who said it last year, you know, kind of like, you know, 100 now is, is the all 93, you know, but, uh, you know, they, they keep fouling off pitches and the pitch count goes up, um, you know, and, and I think he went to the, to the fastball where he's supposed to, it's just they kept battling and, and you know, putting long in bats, you know, he was ahead of guys and. They keep fighting and fighting the at-bat, and all of a sudden, you know, the pitch count got up. up. Do you feel him making any progress, Nate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I think so. Yeah, but just uh, one of those, like today, we talk about it, and uh, I'm not going to push him there. You know, we got JT, and and we still have to, you know, um, attack the guys the way we always do. And uh, he was ready for for Teles. Just too bad that he hit another home run against us. uh, But with Nate, uh, the... We talked, and he said he's played, and the, the breaking ball didn't feel fine. Uh, didn't feel good today, but uh, he gave us enough. How many times have you guys tried to change up what you do against Tolas? I mean, you search all your life. uh, I mean, we we did everything possible to send him down the last time, not to see him. I called their DM and said, you know what, send him out to AAA. We don't want to see you. Uh, it's one of those that is. It seems like he's hitting home runs in the same spot, you know, down and in. And you know, obviously, you got to show him there. But um, he's made some adjustments. I mean, from the get-go, I, I remember he hit two of Eduardo, if not mistaken, a changeup down and in, a sinker down and in. Um, with Nate, it was a cutter in. Uh, now with JT, it was in. Uh, everything down, he's getting to it. And you know, we we've been trying to go to other places. Well, we got him out a few times, but. In that particular time, 1-1, we felt going in, and it, was, it wasn't in enough, and he put a good swing on it. The numbers have said that Mookie should be more aggressive on the first pitch. How have exactly. you guys actually gotten him to be able to, to put it in the game? Just keep talking, and he feels good about his swing. Uh, you guys see it. Um, I can remember a game now that he, he is, you know, the, the deep fly balls to right center or to center field. You know, he's on top of the ball. Um, I think it started in, in Anaheim of all places, um, you know, when he's, he starts hitting line drives and they go out of the ballpark, he's in a great place. and uh, I'm, I'm happy that he's buying into it. He feels good. But the thing is that he has to feel good to be aggressive because if, if he doesn't feel confident that he, he can put a good swing right away, you know, he'd rather work the count, and he's still a good hitter with two strikes. So, but right now, he's, a, he's in a, a great, uh, great frame of mind. Uh, physically, he's in a good spot. And, and his swing looks great. With all that, he's getting two more off. <laughs> Devers not has most, I think, doubles. Uh, yeah, I mean, two. incredible, incredible. Um, actually, the last of bat, it was a tough one. You know, we felt the 2 pitch was up, and then he has to chase up in the zone. But uh, he's been so, so so consistent about what he does, and then there's a lot of those like that. You know, like it's a hard ground ball, and he takes off from from, from the play thinking too, thinking and he gets to it, and you know, he's, he's been amazing for us.
2: All right, so uh, here's what we're going to do the rest of the podcast, because I really did not want to spend a lot of time on the game itself. They tend to not be as important, obviously, the rest of the way going forward. So much stuff going on off the field, so much intrigue. And for a franchise that has captured four World Series titles this century already, there has been a lot of drama, right? I mean, I, I know I'm new to all this, but from Manny being Manny to uh, a GM leaving the premises in a gorilla suit to the chicken and beer. Uh, I mean, all of those things are top ten items on the list. And I'm just wondering where this latest stuff ends up just in, in rankings. Probably not anywhere close to that. But the the Dave Dombrowski firing and it being coupled with the Yankees outscoring the Red Sox 21-6 to over a weekend, eliminating them from the AL East with three weeks to go. Not a great moment in franchise history. I get it. But it does make me think a lot about what's next. Not even so much who's next, but just what's on the plate for whoever it's going to be. I mean, Mookie Betts is either going to be extended or traded this winter. And if you trade him, which future All-Stars did you get? Because if those flowers don't bloom, that is a total failure on your permanent record. The starting rotation right now is being anchored by three pitchers that The previous GM signed for more than $400 million. None of them is guaranteed to be healthy to start next year, whether it's Chris Sale or David Price or even Nathan Avaldi. J.D. Martinez could opt out of his contract, force the Sox to step up, or just watch him walk off into the western sunset. Uh, The qualifying offer gives the team a little bit of leverage. J.D., of course, has leverage because he's having another amazing year. You've got payroll pushing 240000000 million. You've got dead money from Pedroya's extension and uh, Sandoval's buyout in the final year of the Rusni-Castillo contract uh, kind of getting cleared up here now. So the, the Red Sox are, are going to be financially squeezed enough that uh, the starting rotation, the bullpen questions, they're going to be there. Now, you've got Rafael Devers, looks like a superstar in the making. Red Sox need to decide pretty soon if they can get him locked up long term. Uh, lesser with Ben Benintendi but that's going to come as, as a bill that's due at some point pretty soon too the new guy's got to wonder and decide can the team live without Jackie Bradley going forward and that great defense uh, you know do you dangle him do you dangle Ben Benintendi somewhere you got to decide if Workman is really a closer or did the Red Sox need to spend for one of those two these are complicated issues there are a lot of different issues and the clock's already kind of running on a lot of this stuff. The Red Sox have committed so many resources to the, to the pitching rotation. It just kind of ties you up. And for whoever comes in, that's, the, to me, the biggest thing that you have to kind of swim through. The farm system restock is another big one. It's huge. I mean, other than Michael Chavis, the position players brought up from AAA this year, you're talking Gorky's Hernandez and Chris Owings. They were brought up to provide depth, and they are journeymen for a reason. They're struggling big time. They're a combined one-for-26, as a matter of fact, since being promoted. So uh, not to bring the room down, I just kind of want to put that out there as, you know, if I'm looking at leaving where I am to become the new GM, to consider that, I just have to look at all of that, put it in the blender and, and turn it on and, and at least consider it. One thing I do want to end with on a high note, if you'll let me hear. This is an anniversary. I'm recording this on September 10th of 2019, of course. Uh, and and that reminded me uh, about what happened 20 years ago to the date. Sam Miller did a wonderful, wonderful treatise of it. And I'd already kind of had this circled as a, a thing to do in a podcast, is to flash back 20 years. And, and if you don't remember what I'm talking about Pause for just a moment, think of what I could possibly be talking about twenty years ago in September, probably had something to do with pedro you 're right. Uh, this was i think the the quintessential Pedro Martinez game, and the, the Sam Miller treatise uh, He kind of agreed with that, and i 'll share some of what he said, but I, I want to give you my thoughts too, because I was looking at the lineup from that game. It was a Friday night in the Bronx. And I was wondering how the Red Sox ever won with this lineup. It was Jose Offerman leading off at second, Darren Lewis in left, no more at short. I mean, he was hitting in the 350s at the time. Mike Stanley was your cleanup man playing first base. Butch Husky was the DH, took an 0-5 that night. Then it was Troy O'Leary in left. Obviously, he was very, very solid that year. But Damon Buford in center that night, Veritech catching. Wilton Veras was the third baseman. What a where are they now just from the bottom third ...of that lineup. Veritek, we know where he is. He just caught the David Ortiz first pitch at Fenway the other night. Damon Buford owns Ufloat, a company that makes modified uh, life jacket kind of things down in Chandler, Arizona. Uh, Veris now lives in the Dominican Republic. He never did play in the big leagues again after 1999. He did go on to star in the Taiwanese League for a couple of years for a team called the Sinan Bulls. But uh, anyway, the Red Sox would win this game 20 years ago to the date... With two in the sixth off Andy Pettit, one in the ninth off Mike Stanton, it was a 3-1 final, and it pushed their record to 81-61. and It got them within five games of first place. The final pitching line for Pedro, nine innings, one hit, one run, no walks, 17 strikeouts. The only pitching line of exactly that in Major League history. This was in the final month of a pennant race at Yankee Stadium. One bad pitch. Chili Davis hit a solo home run in the second inning, and you can argue that the whole rest of the night, he didn't throw another pitch that bad. He retired the next 22 in a row, struck out 15 of those. None of the last 11 Yankee batters hit a fair ball. I'll give you some of what Buster Olney wrote in the game story for the New York Times back then. He said, hitters gossip on the Yankees bench during games, sharing information about the opposing pitcher's flaws. But there was no free-flowing exchange of thought last night. No tips, no insight. They said nothing in the dugout because there was nothing to say. Pedro Martinez humbled the Yankees in their home park in a manner never seen before. And, yeah, if you look at the ninth inning, the TV broadcasts were just cut from one blank Yankees face to another. All of them just speechless and stunned and isolated. And as Sam Miller wrote, it's like Pedro would put each batter into his own personal prison cell. Buster only summed it up by saying, uh, David Cohn agreed, less than two months removed from throwing a perfect game, it was the best pitching effort he had ever seen. So I know the, the stakes were not as high as they were in the ALDS relief appearance against the Indians or in some of the other playoff games that Pedro would would go on to start. But I, I think this was his benchmark start, as in, he, you know, he was... More dominant in the All-Star game of of that 1999 summer. Uh, There were more consequential starts, obviously, in the playoffs. But this was the one where you're saying, okay, you can't do it much better than that. This was a year after the Yankees had won 114 games. They were in the middle of a three-year World Series run. And that dominance that Pedro showed on September 10 of 99, that's not something that one random Chili Davis home run wipes out. I'm looking at Derek Jeter hitting 353 going into that game, Bernie Williams 344. And this was a 100% Pedro Martinez, I'm going to control you game. So when Pedro struck out the 17 Tampa Bay Rays the next year, I think this was the game everybody compared that start to when uh, he would go on to have other 17 strikeout games. Uh, everybody look back to this one. So uh, a flashback to 20 years ago, today as I record this, Star Wars Episode One: Phantom Menace was still in the theaters. The Billy Bass singing fish was the big pop culture craze. On the radio, uh, we were living La Vida Loca. The Backstreet Boys wanted it that way. Christina Aguilera was a genie in a bottle, and Will Smith somehow was living in the wild, wild west. I don't know what that was all about. And Smash, M- Smash Mouth was a thing? Yeah? In 99? Yeah, that's right. All tied into the All-Star game. Remember that? Hey, now you're an All-Star, blah, blah. That was a great All-Star game at Fenway. And 99, uh, full disclosure, was one of my favorite summers. I was working at that point in Detroit, getting ready to close down Tiger Stadium and open up Comerica Park. Uh, You know, the Tigers, obviously, were were no great shakes, but there was just some good baseball being played. And uh, a lot of it in Boston. No more won the batting title. Three fifty-seven batting average. Pedro ended up with twenty-three wins, three hundred and thirteen strikeouts, and it was a wild card year. I know it wasn't a, an AL East winning year, but hey, they, they were down two nothing in a best of five. They outscored Cleveland thirty-two to ten from there, and you had the Troy O'Leary two first pitch home runs, one a three-run shot, one a grand slam. It all it all came down to Game Five with Pedro saving the tattered bullpen, had no fastball, but. Uh, I know the rotation, other than Pedro that year, was a mess. Pat Rapp, Mark Portugal, Jin Ho Cho, Brian Rose, uh, Tim Wakefield was a closer for more than half of that season. So it it was messy, but it was fun. And it set the stage for even more messes the next couple years. Dan Duquette, Jimmy Williams, Joe Kerrigan off the field, Carl Everett, and soon enough the the Cowboy Up group and the Team of Idiots and all of that. It, It all worked out before too long, and to me, uh, you know, a fringe Red Sox fan back then working in Detroit and just kind of starting to get fascinated with Boston. That's when I remember starting to take a real interest in what was happening at Fenway. And and for me, it was, I don't know, my personal seminal moment. It's not like I was eight years old or anything like that. And I guess I would have been, uh, uh, how quickly can I do the math? I would have been around 30 uh, in 1999. So, I mean, I certainly knew some baseball by then and knew a little bit about the Red Sox. But that game captured my attention about Pedro, which kind of captured my attention about the Red Sox. So when I started getting assigned Red Sox games for Fox going forward, I don't know, there was just something about it where I started paying a little bit more attention. The Red Sox were a little bit more attractive to me from that day on. So uh, anyway, it's just a personal aside, a long one, and I apologize for that. But, you know, everybody probably has their one game where they remember really it all clicked for me as a as a red Sox fan. And again, you know, total disclosure, I couldn't really be a fan back then. I was working for a different American league team, but in terms of piquing my interest and getting super fascinated by what was and what was to be, I really think it was uh, 20 years ago. So I'm, I'm glad I circled it on my calendar. I'm glad I got to share it with you and for what it's worth, I don't do this often enough, but if you guys have memories or insight or things you want to hear about uh, I, I never do this, and I apologize. I, I should, should do this more. Give you my uh, my Twitter, which is at Josh Lewin stuff, all smooshed together, one word. And feel free to reach out because, frankly, down the stretch here with the games meaning less and less, I don't want to keep talking about a GM search. I don't want to keep talking about how they handled Dombrowski and all of that. There's still so much cool stuff to be discussed and, and kind of bounced around, uh, you know, the minor league system, all of that, I mean, we, we can still do that stuff, and I'll still tell you who won the games and who pitched well and who didn't, but this kind of stuff, the kind of the, the one-off, off the grid, that, that interests me more and more as we, uh, we grow old together these last three weeks. So thanks for letting me do this tonight. Uh, I know it wasn't super conventional, but um, that's me, and, uh, and I appreciate you listening and, and telling people to, to join you. Because we, uh, we have fun on this podcast, don't we? I do. I don't I mean, you know, I can't speak for you guys. But anyway, we'll have another one tomorrow with more from Toronto. We'll probably be a little bit more intensive on the actual game. And I do want to get more into uh, to memories, to Red Sox memories, too. So anyway, uh, the name of the podcast is Sox Daily. You got that. You got my Twitter, at Josh Lewin stuff. I don't know your name, but I feel like I know you anyway. Thanks. Talk soon. Bye-bye.